So much is happening in the first two chapters of Acts. There was much excitement about the birth of the church, even though they didn't know a whole lot of what was going to be happening. You know, it's not hard to imagine the feelings. If you look back at the first child that came into your family, from hearing, you are going to have a baby, to the cry in the birthing room. You know, babies, really, they've been born for quite some time now. Yet when it's your baby, completely different. It's a big deal. Um, as you try to figure out all the things that are going on in your body and all of the preparations that you need to make, especially if it's your first child, it's special, and it's a big deal. There's angst and wonder and fear and excitement. You're both reassured and absolutely terrified by the stories you have heard. You've been told how a baby develops in the womb and eventually what labor would mean. And so it's somewhat the same, but it's so different for everyone. Finally, you hear the words, your baby is coming soon. Probably in the next week. <laughs> you, you get a little bit nervous. But nobody realizes the joy, the fear, well, the expectations the beauty, until it actually happens. Little do couples realize how much a baby changes their lives, especially the first one. Truth is, the disciples, they knew drastic changes were going to happen when the Holy Spirit came. They did. Although the birth of a baby and the birth of the church doesn't align perfectly, both of these miracles have some great parallels. Let me just remind you, Jesus spent three years preparing his disciples just for this, just for the church's birth. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead and then spent 40 days prepping his disciples, reminding them about the kingdom and preparing them for this next step. He told them that the Holy Spirit was coming and that the Holy Spirit would be a game changer. Now, this wasn't the first time they heard about the Holy Spirit. Jesus had faithfully shared with them about what the Holy Spirit would do, but he kept it so very, very simple at the end. He said the Holy Spirit would come upon you, you would have great power, and you would be my witnesses wherever you go. So Christ's instructions, pretty, pretty clear. Wait for the Spirit. So 120 believers gathered, and they waited for the Spirit. 
than if you were with us last week. Acts chapter 2 came. And I just have to ask you, hasn't chapter 2 of Acts just absolutely captured you this week? As you thought of what literally happened and the response of the disciples and the thousands of people coming to faith. (laughs) Just a quick reminder, the, the Jewish festival of Pentecost did come. And when it came, these 120 people experienced the coming of the Spirit. There was a great sound from heaven, literally the breath of God that came upon them. And then fire, fire appeared and began to separate so that balls or tongues of fire went on each of the 120. And when everyone was filled, they all left and began speaking in unlearned languages. That day, multitudes from all over the world heard about Jesus. The crowds were literally shocked, mostly because they were hearing good news in their native tongues. Behavior was so extraordinary that they thought the disciples were drunk. Drunk. Now, alcohol affects everybody differently, but but mostly alcohol emboldens. Alcohol gives courage. Alcohol changes your behavior. The Holy Spirit's entrance into their lives did just this. They made, the Holy Spirit made them unrecognizable. And we really see it for the rest of, of the book of Acts. Peter preached, and 3,000 responded and were baptized. (laughs) 3,000 baptisms. What a great day to be here and, and celebrate two baptisms. But can you imagine, even logistically, 3,000 new believers? The story continues in Acts chapter 2. We left it at verse 41. We're going to pick it up in verse 42. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we're excited. We are. This is an amazing story. It's a, it's a story, God, that so many of us have read so many times, but, but we are in awe of how you equipped the church. It was so early. It was so fresh. They were so in tune with you. And Lord, thousands upon thousands came to faith in these first few weeks and months. And the church was born. Lord, we love you. We are part of this same church We are part of the folks that you prayed for in your last days here. And yet, Lord, in some ways, our church doesn't totally reflect this church. 
It was a different culture. I, I know that, Father. But there are some things, I believe, some important things that we need to look at today. So, Father, would you speak to us through the Holy Spirit? Would you help us understand what changes you need to make in us and, and in our church? What things we need to do differently. How we need to uh, depend upon you differently. We would ask that all these things happen, dear Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So he painted a picture and brought us right up to Acts 2.42. But the question is, what do we do now? There was... There wasn't a church before. There wasn't history. How, how do we do this? Not only weren't there any churches, but sometimes parachurch organizations surround new believers, especially those on college campuses. Well, how, how do we do this? How do we help them mature? How, how do we do church? Well, the Spirit moved, and we are told what they did in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I think we are given in one verse the axioms of the church. Now, some of you remember just months ago, actually in October of last year, Brendan Harder also preached from this section. So technically... We don't need to cover this, so we're going to move on. No. No. No, we're not. I think he did a fantastic job. But sometimes we forget, even if it's in a few months. So we're going to hit it again. And if you'd like, you can open up your Bibles or your flat screens to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42 and read through verse 47. And I've asked Gary Riendo to read the Scripture for us. So you can follow along in your Bibles or you can look at the screen. Gary, would you read for us? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The Spirit at this moment guided these new believers, all 3,120 of them, into communities. And the Scriptures have recorded for us what they did and how they looked. The church was the body of Christ, meeting together for teaching, for fellowship, for meals, and for prayer. We don't know exactly when this started. We know it was after 3,000 came to faith. Was it a day? 
Was it two? Was it two weeks? We're not sure. We know it was soon. But we don't know exactly how long each of these gatherings were or how large each of these gatherings were or how much time they spent on prayer or the meal or the teaching. We just know they practiced the axioms of the church. They meant to learn. They met to fellowship. They met to eat, which included the Lord's Supper, and they met to pray. I'm excited to learn about their adventure and to continue in the book of Acts. And I'm excited because it's going to change my behavior and I think our behavior. So let's jump in and learn from these early spirit-filled believers. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Wow. All the believers devoted themselves. Everyone gathered together. Everyone, it says at this moment, was devoted. There are many different ways to look at this translation, but honestly, for you English folks, this is a present active participle. If I could say what the meaning of devoted is, it will make an impact in your life. The basic meaning of devoted is tenacious dedication. It means to keep remaining with. It means to keep being loyal to. It means keep on occupying oneself diligently in this area. It meant keep paying persistent attention to. It says keep on holding fast. Say yikes. Would devoted what one one little word there? And I'm trying to say, most of us, if we were to answer the question, hey, am I devoted to the church? We'd probably 99%, boom, I'm there. But I think what we're going to see, even though I think many are there, I think their devotion looked just a little bit different. It was this passionate relentless pursuit of meeting together and doing these four things. Now again, I am not saying that we take every principle in the book of Acts and we automatically just jump 2,000 years and are able to, you know, cross the culture and just be able to do this. But there are some really important principles that we can apply to us, to our small groups, to our church, and to the church. And I'm hoping that, number one, 
we receive how important this is. So really, Dr. Luke, who's writing this history, says, everyone, everyone, all of those believers, there weren't believers that sat on the side. There weren't believers that said, hey, you know what? Community isn't for me. I, I just want you to know, it's not, I, I'm not going to choose community. What they were saying is, everyone, everyone, everyone had tenacious intentionality to form communities which had four components. Their gatherings included four practices or disciplines. Practice number one, the apostles' teaching. Some part of this community gathered to learn. And at this moment, it was Old Testament, because that's all they had, and Christ's words. We have a more robust Bible as Paul later wrote, and, and the apostles were able to record for us some of the history of Jesus. But God's word was foundational and is foundational today and critical for growth and health. And we can put that aside and we can say it's not that important, but it is. It's critical and it's important. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And again, the hard part of this message is, what do I cut out? There are so many verses that tell us how important God's word is for us. But Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk or crave God's word so that you will grow into your full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. This is so important. In 1 uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 and 16, the Apostle Paul talks to the young pastor, Timothy. And he says, hey, Timothy, until I get there, focus. Make this a priority on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers with those scriptures and teaching them. Keep a close watch on how you live, Timothy, and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and for all those who hear your words. You see, the word is God's love letter preserved for us. The scriptures reveals God, his love for us, and his plan for our lives. The Bible guides and strengthens and enables and sustains and convicts. Every word is inspired and is useful and is applicable it should be part of our personal daily lives, but it has to be part of every gathering of this community. I love, and so many of you are participating in this, but I, I love the daily walks that Brendan literally sends out on either Sundays or Mondays. Where we're able to, again, relook at some of the things that God is teaching us on Sundays. And discussions can happen in groups or across the table or over a Zoom. 
practice number two is fellowship. And I think in some ways the, the biblical word is called koinonia, but sometimes I, I think we don't fully understand the purpose of fellowship. Actually, just hanging out with each other happens in a different phase. Fellowship, at least in the biblical sense, is the spiritual duty of believers to stimulate each other to holiness and to faithfulness. It means you have a relationship with one another. It means you are spurring one another on. You're encouraging one another to be able to be relentless with sin and faithful to God. It is most specifically expressed through the one another's in the New Testament. And some of you may have picked up the handout that was next to the bulletins on your way in. And if you didn't, you can pick one up on the way out. But there are so many one another's that are listed in the Scripture. And the one another's certainly can be practiced on a Sunday once a week. But they are best experienced in smaller communities or gatherings. Now the truth is our culture is becoming more isolated and COVID has fueled this shift. I I would like to tread lightly here realizing there are legitimate reasons to quarantine physically but I also want to say in the exact same breath that this doesn't mean community can't happen. The Bible does not envision the Christian life as one lived apart from other believers. All members of the universal church, the body of Christ, are to be actively and intimately involved in local assemblies. In fact, those who choose to isolate themselves are disobedient to a direct command of the Scripture. Now again, my hope is is that you're not feeling overwhelmed right now or yelled at. But the scriptures are really, really clear. And there might be some areas for each of us to grow in. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 24, the author of Hebrews basically says this, encourages all believers, charges believers. Hey, think of ways to motivate or spur one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do. In other words, it's so very, very important for us to gather together in community. The challenge continues in our culture. I think coming together in order to stimulate each other to holiness and the faithfulness, even during a pandemic, it takes work. It's so much easier just to grab a cup of coffee at Starbucks and sit around a table and talk one-on-one, one-on-two to continue some of these relationships. It is. But 
some of us, we're restricted. And it doesn't mean you stop. It means you become more creative. Gatherings are still necessary, but I just think it will take work and look different. But what I want you to hear is that in the early church, as creative as they had to be, especially with no buildings, this is where relentless devotion, being intentional, is critical. I do think, as I've chatted with different folks and different pastors at different churches, that believers have taken the Kool-Aid. They believe that isolation is good and that spiritual growth and health can happen separated from others. I hear this so often, especially with millennials, who believe that they can experience God in the church over the internet in their pajamas all by themselves every single Sunday. The truth is you can grow. But there needs to be some kind of community. Ann Ortland, not sure many of you know who that is, but she wrote a book called Up With Worship. And she compares two kinds of communities commonly found in the scriptures. One, or in churches. One she describes as a bag of marbles. The people come together for fellowship. They clank and clatter. They glitter and throw off light occasionally. And they chip each other because they bang into each other. They connect, but they don't mingle. That's not koinonia, just so you know. The other kind of community she describes as a bag of grapes. Shake the bag around a little bit and it begins to drip. Look inside and it's not a pretty sight, but they're mingling. Each life bleeds into the other. That's koinonia. Practice number three is sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper. A little bit unique here. But let me just say this, is that back then, first century, having a meal with someone was huge. It is. It, it, it was something that was done often and extended, and meals weren't often done in 10 minutes or 12 minutes. The table was huge, but in our culture, it's hard to even find a family that eats together in a consistent way. At the table, life is shared, stories are told, conflict is resolved, and love is extended. This is great interaction. Busy schedules, though, squeeze out the life that happens around the table. But let me remind you that each one of us are always intentional with the priorities in our life. So what sticks out to me in the early church gatherings is not even so much that they had meals together. That would kind of follow suit. But what would happen at the end of the meal? We know this as we look at other writings, but normally what would happen is that the Lord's Supper or communion would happen around these gatherings, and it was critical. For most of us, again, we have never experienced 
communion other than here in a church. But back again in this first century gathering, there would be times of teaching and, and there would be times of fellowship, of connecting with each other, there, and there would be a meal. But at the end of the meal, there would be the Lord's Supper. And, and some of us would say, what's the, what's the big deal? Okay, we, we have some crackers and some grape juice and we leave. Okay, we did our thing. Uh, hold on. The Lord's Supper or communion was critical during the meal in the church. You see, communion calls for self-examination and the purging of sin. Thus, being celebrated often purifies the church, takes care of the grudges or the disunity because people are convicted of their sin. And they respond to God about it. You see, the early Christians made accountability, which meant confrontation of sin, along with remembering the cross priorities in their gatherings. The fourth practice, the fourth axiom was prayer. Now again, it's hard to read the Bible and not understand how important prayer is. But prayer was one of the focuses of the Jerusalem church. And I believe it was both personal and corporate. But as we stay and study in this book of Acts, you are going to find out that Acts points to a pattern of corporate prayer. That prayer was central to the church's life. In chapter 4, in chapter 6, in chapter 12, in chapter 13, in chapter 20. You see, prayer provides the key link between the exalted Lord in heaven and his body in, in the earth. Prayer strengthens his people, especially those on mission. One verse that just caught my attention was in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And use the word devote. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, there, consistent and intentional community provided vibrant life. It did. Something changed and something is so attractive of this. Something is just so amazing, especially for some of us who maybe have been believers for a long time. To see God work in such an undeniable way. To see people come to faith. To have this 3,000 person baptismal service. It just had to give you goosebumps. And some of us were jealous. We're jealous. But we know this, is that during this time, this vibrant life that oozed from a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, there was a deep sense of awe enjoying God's activity in their midst. They enjoyed God's work. There was daily worship and praise, both, if you've noticed, at the temple and in the home. 
in larger congregations and in smaller ones. There was rich fellowship with meals served where the Lord's Supper was celebrated. There was great joy in their midst as people blessed, were blessed, and blessed others. Extreme generosity happened. In fact, shocking as the scripture was read to us. We, we read that and say, whoa, what does that mean? I have to go some. Uh, stop. Just remember, this was family. This was community. We're not going to take an extra offering at the end and, and make sure that all of us start, well, acting exactly like this. I think what was exciting about this church is that they saw each other differently. They were involved in each other's lives consistently. They didn't just bump into each other like a bag of marbles. But they were involved and intimate. They prayed together. They ate together. They celebrated together. They learned together. And as a result, they did what families do. Families happened. And when someone's hurting, they do anything they can. They sell property. They make sure they're going to be taken care of. Because that is what family does. My question is this. Wouldn't you want to be part of this? Or maybe we can say it a different way. Who wouldn't want to be part of this? To be part of a gathering that helps you walk with God, that encourages you in your faith, that sees God work in unbelievable, undeniable ways where people are literally coming to faith, maybe daily. I was talking with the pastors in the area, and it was so cool. One of the highlights over the summer, he says, oh, Rick, you, you won't believe it. We had baptisms 14 Sundays in a row. And I, and I just said, well, you what? 14 Sundays in a row. <laughs> yeah. How cool is that? That, that people... We're just naturally and normally being added to the church. I know this is a highlight of our church when we have a baptismal service. Absolutely. What rejoicing when people come to faith and want to let everybody know about their relationship. Well, you know, if we jump to chapter 3... And some of you are probably looking at your watches and going, holy schmoly. I mean, if you just covered these verses, how are we going to get through <laughs> chapter 3? Oh, trust me. We're going to try. But what happens just naturally after this, as we look into chapter 3, again, we don't know, weeks or even months later, Peter and John, Two leaders, they go to the temple in order to pray. 
Now at this time, in the Jewish culture, they would go to the temple at least three times a day to pray. There was a 9 o'clock prayer, a 12 o'clock prayer, and a 3 o'clock prayer. But the 3 o'clock prayer was the most attended of all the prayers. Okay? It was the favorite. And Peter and John go there. They're going to meet and pray. And as they walk into the temple, there's a beggar. And it's a little repulsive to some of us, but, but realistically, this is how that culture operated. If, if you were maimed, if you couldn't work, you were so dependent on other people's generosity, and you would plant yourself wherever you could plant yourself to get the best return. And this guy had a great spot. And he begged. He asked people for help as they walked into the temple. But Peter has a unique response. And he looks at the guy and he says, hey, you know what, if you want money from me, I'm the wrong guy for money. But you know what? I have something I can give you. All right, I do. And I want to tell you about it because this is way better than money. And let me tell you what happens. So Peter responds and literally takes action. Look at chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. And we'll read through verse 11 here. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, get up and walk. And Peter took the layman by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's ankles and feet were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God when they realized he was the lame beggar that had that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astonished. (laughs) They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. The man miraculously, in the name of Jesus, was healed. The man didn't merely enter. He was walking and singing and praising. And if that didn't bring attention to everybody, when they finally found out who that was, maybe by the way he dressed, maybe by his demeanor, but everybody who was arriving for prayer saw it. It was so cool. Look at chapter 12. Acts Chapter 3, verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. What you're going to see over and over and over in the book of Acts is that we've got a group of people who are listening, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit's prompts. That there are divine appointments all over. Peter and John, just so you know, didn't get up in the morning and says, whoa, I'm pretty sure I'm going to meet a beggar and let's heal that dude. I don't know what prompted him. 
I don't know why he didn't heal him before. I'm sure he'd been in the temple before. I even know Jesus went to the temple to pray often. Why didn't Jesus heal this guy a long time ago? If he's been there all the time, or at least some of it. But this time, this time, the Spirit said, Now, Pete, do it! Do it! He said, Okay, man, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if this is going to work. But here, I can't give you money. Give me your hand. And it changed the environment. That person's life. That's what Jesus does. Jesus changes lives. Jesus heals. But what's so cool, I I would think, again, especially as a pastor, oh, sharing what happened today, it was amazing. I was walking in church. There was a lame guy there. He was healed in the name of Jesus. I came home. I'm kind of tired. What's for supper? He he looks around. He goes, whoa, look at these crowds. They're pretty amazing. It's my opportunity. The Spirit's saying, go ahead, preach, buddy. Preach, preach, preach. Let people know. Let people know what's going on. No script. No script. And he did. Look at his message in chapter 3, starting at verse 19. Stands up, and again, it's, it's his second message. I said his first message in Acts chapter 2 was his best. This is pretty good. Okay? Chapter 2, but look at verse 19. He says, now, repent of your sins, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. I just want you to know that God wants to be part of your life. He he wants a relationship with you. You must repent of your sin. You can't get connected with God without that. You are separated from God. Now, I don't know if he went into all this detail, but but pretty much what he meant. And he goes, if you do. This is so cool. The refreshment of God's presence will come upon you. That's what I want. I want peace. I I want a relationship with you, God. All this happens when I come to you? Yes! It's really cool in Jeremiah and Micah and Isaiah. All these Old Testament prophets promised this would happen using a lot of the same words. And the prophecy was jumping off the pages to Peter. This, my friends, is the Spirit-filled life. And we'll continue to chat through this and talk about this. It's doing normal, but being God's representatives and seizing the moment. You say, well, Rick, you know what? If I had that opportunity and I could, you know, guarantee that 3,000 people are going to be saved or, or that people would come to faith, I'd open my mouth more. Me too. 
But you're going to find out over and over and over again that God gives us divine appointments not only, well, probably every day, but maybe two or three or four times a day. This is what I call the great adventure. This is exactly what God has called the church to do, us. So the church was birthed. And the church gathered. And it grew. All the family increased. And there was joy. And I think in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, in my opinion, about a healthy church. He says this, love each other with genuine affection. When you come together in your communities, in your small groups, in your large gatherings, love each other. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. We know that our situation isn't so good. Our circumstances are hard right now. But there can be rejoicing in who Jesus is and what Jesus brings. It says, be patient in trouble. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say, hey, if you get in trouble, be patient. It just says, hey, uh, uh, trouble's going to be there. Be patient. And keep, 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 be diligent in praying. You know, as you look at the early church and you see what God does through a group of people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, there is a community that begins to develop that draws you and encourages you on this journey. Gives you a perfect place when someone comes to faith to come in and to be nurtured and to be able to be encouraged to walk with our God. You know, some aren't part of the community. Some, some are part of a larger community that meets here every once in a while, at least once a week. But I think we're missing out if that's what it is. There is hardly, it's hardly impossible to do the one another's if you just gather on a Sunday. Each week we encourage you on the journey. Each week we ask you, do you want to become part of a community, a group? Do you want to do life together? And most of the time we're too busy. I get it. but I have to go back to Acts chapter 2. 
there was something special. And they did life together. My hope is, maybe not tomorrow, or or maybe not even next week, but if you're not part of a small group, that you realize that that's how God has wired us as a church. And you may be interested as we even look, not only as elders, but leadership of, what does this look like for us in the future? If a pandemic continues or things like this, do we have more house churches? I don't know. But what's the future going to look like? I know one thing. I want to walk with you, Jesus. I want to listen to your voice. And I want to encourage people on the journey so that they experience God and are on mission with him. You'll never regret that. You won't. And may God encourage you, inspire you, convict you, and may this church be used in this community in an unbelievable way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We know, God, you work differently in different ways, in different circumstances, in different situations. We know that. But, God, we know that all believers gathered together in community. And they learned from your word. And they were accountable to each other. And there were times of doing life together and eating meals. And they prayed, God, would you grow our community in these areas? In Jesus' powerful name.